So how are we doing, community of faith? Did you have a good fourth? Had a fun time? Didn't blow yourself up? That's good. Hey, I wanna talk to you today about where function and mission meet. When Laura and I started Community of Faith in 2003, we had a dream. And that was that we would have this place because we're all so dysfunctional in America today as we're kind of living in the Roman Empire as it's in its last stages almost, it seems like sometimes, um, that we, sh we struggle to function. But also God wants us on mission. And so even in the logo, if you take a look at the logo of Community of Faith up there, you see it on the side, those two lines around the outside, one of those is function, one of those is mission, and that's my dream that function and mission would meet together and that we would be on this journey with God, becoming more functional as human beings, but on mission with him. I want you to pull out your sermon notes because this is a really important sermon today. I think it's gonna be a life changer and the beginning of life change for some of us. What I want you to see this morning is you don't have to wait for function to do mission. That's one of the things I want you to, to understand. I, I've told this story many times, but you've probably heard it, but it's really important to the life of community of faith. When Laura and I were on the mission field in Mexico City, Second Baptist Church Houston invited me to come back and preach on a Sunday and share about our mission experiences and what we were doing and all that was going on. And I remember just telling them some of my stories and some of my Spanish bloopers, and, but some of the poignant stories of what God had done. And there was a, a long line of uh, like young adults after the service that wanted to, to talk to me. And I remember shaking their hands and talking to each one. I remember especially this one young man, good looking young guy, and he said, he goes, Mark, he goes, it's been my life's dream to be a missionary. And I said, well, awesome, that's great. And he said, but, and he just looked downcast. He said, I struggle from depression. And I remember reaching out and grabbing his shoulders, looking him right in the eye, and I said, I have got good news for you, dude. You can get Prozac over the counter in Mexico. And he just looked at me really shocked for a second. You know, I said, yeah, why do you think missionaries are so happy? You know, I've had malaria 17 times, you know, stuff like that. And, and uh, it's got the missionary support package should be like Bible check, you know, funding check, Prozac check, you know, because it's difficult. Now, some of you are going, is he making fun of being on Prozac? No, I believe in Prozac. How do you think I put up with you guys all the time, right? It's like, it, it's it's like this thing that we do together, but we're dysfunctional, all of us. We can't let that stop us from doing what God wants to do on this earth. There's so many areas of our lives where we're dysfunctional. We're dissatisfied, distressed, disappointed, discouraged. You know, let me just give you a quick example of one of the ways in which we're dysfunctional. How we eat. You know, don't you love donuts at Community of Faith? That's why you come, isn't it, right? In fact, we did a study and across, the, we're the fastest growing church by pure poundage in the United States of America. No, we're not really. But have you ever watched a skinny person eat a donut? Have you? I, I mean, it's crazy because like this is, this is my favorite donut. This is the pastoral donut. It's that cake donut, you know, the old fashioned, but I love this thing. And you watch a skinny person eat it and it's like, 
You know, they've had a little bite there, and then they're, they're chewing on this, and you're talking, and, and then they go, mm-hmm. and then I go, what did you just do? What was that? You know, how did you, what, what in the world were you thinking? Are, are you a crazy person? Now, skinny people, they don't want you to, hang on just a minute. Skinny wired people, because they have the Red Bull. Um, skinny, skinny people, they, they'll say, oh, I'm sure our metabolism, it's just, it's so different. Mine's just fast and yours is slow. Because they know that you'll hate them, you know, if you really know the truth. They don't eat as much as you or me. And, and what they do, if you follow them around for 48 hours, they can, they can do that because they've learned to listen to their body. And they know when they're, you know, the feelings of hunger and, and, and the feelings of fullness and what that feels like. But, you know, I'm, I'm like, that's just my first of like four this morning, you know, that I'm going try to try to just gulp down. And some of us, we grew up that way, clean your plate, right? What about all those starving people in China? And I'm thinking, how is us being fat going to help starving people in China? It's not unless you go as a missionary to a, like a cannibal tribe or something. That might help. But, but, <laughs> so you go. but we don't, we've lost that. And you say, that's just a, a simple kind of foolish thing, but it's, it, it's really true. Laura and I, what we've dreamed of at Community of Faith is it would be a place for us together to learn God's way to change things and to bring function to our life. What does that mean? For some of you, it means that that marriage of yours right now that's in turmoil, as we begin to put this into practice and we begin to do the principles that it takes, next year at this time, it's gonna be the sweetest thing in your life. I know that can be the case because I saw my marriage to Laura turn around. We're on the brink of divorce and the very ne- by the end of the next year, It's the sweetest thing in our lives and it's because we put some principles into play, some principles that God had taught us. And for some of you, it means that depression that's followed you around like a cloud all your life. You're gonna gonna learn how to to cope with that. You're gonna learn how to deal with that, how to even lift that and manage that. The addiction that you're struggling with, you're gonna break through that. That's what this means. For some of us, it might mean that we're at our ideal weight for the first time since high school or maybe middle school. I don't know, you know. Some of us, we're gonna have resources pouring in on us. We're having such financial difficulties right now, but if we learn these principles, resources that pour in on us to give back out, that pour back in to give back out to the kingdom of God because we learned some principles with that. We're talking about life change. And it's not like, a diet. It's not a fad diet. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's learning some principles and beginning t- to walk through that. We're talking about God-powered change. And what God has done, he has made these principles simple. But I don't want you to confuse simple with easy. Okay? Because it's so simple that a child can understand it. But it's not easy. In fact, it's going to cost you. What's it going to cost you? Everything. To follow him costs you everything. And, and, and that's what it costs. And God's way of life change, he's got these principles, and I think he wants us to put them into play in every area of our lives. 
I want you to think of the area in your life that needs some life change right now, that needs God's power. In the fall, we're gonna do a series that's called, I don't know the name of it yet because I haven't figured out a really good name, but it's basically what every Christian should know. What God wants every Christian to know. And I'm pretty much gonna guarantee you that there's some of the things that we're gonna teach that you don't know right now, that you haven't thought about, or you didn't realize, or you've forgotten. And it's some of the basics of how the power flows through you in the Christian life. But here's the thing about function. If you wanna function, all function starts with the truth. First, we have to find the truth. We have to tell ourselves the truth. We have to have just an a, a all-out longing for the truth, because only the truth sets us free. So I want us to look at a, just five quick areas this morning that we need to see the truth in that's gonna help us. First, I want you to see the truth about God. Write that down, the truth about God. The truth is there's only one God. But we make lots of little gods sometimes. And listen to what God said in one of the big 10 in Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. Philosopher Peter Kreeft said, the opposite of theism, which is belief in God, is not atheism, it's idolatry. Listen to what God says when he's talking about it. He says, my people, he's talking about my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, to hew or dig for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What is a broken cistern? What is a broken cistern? He's the fountain of living waters, and if we're believers, he lives in us, but what we do is we go out and we find other little gods. We've got to go around in all the little rooms of our life and see what little gods we've set up, you know? I was just kneeling to the little donut god there for a minute, you know? And, and you say, well, that seems kind of silly, but it's life-changing. A broken cistern is our attempt to heal a hurt or an emotional need apart from God. Remember Jesus, when he was tempted, he was really hungry. He was tempted in the desert. And the devil said, make these stones. They look like little loaves anyway. Make them, you know, roadhouse bread, you know. Make them some of those roadhouse rolls right there. And, and that's a loose translation, okay? And Jesus said, God's principle says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. And I've been listening to God's words and I'm not gonna go that way. I fill my emotional needs a lot of times with food. You know, I get upset or angry or hurt or down or whatever, and I reach for something, you know, in the pantry. And what I should do is go and kneel down beside my bed or get in the closet and kneel down like we talked about last week and talk to God and find my need met there. Then if I'm hungry, if I'm still hungry, that's fine, go get something to eat. You see, a donut is not sinful and broccoli holy. In fact, at Community of Faith, we prayed over these donuts, so eating them is like broccoli. You know, no, it's not really. But we, we uh, it's, not, it's not like that. It, it's a lifestyle of saying, I can know what my body needs because I'm in touch with God for my emotional needs. Now, any place that you would go for emotional satisfaction apart from God, that's a broken cistern. And some of them are obvious, you know, like if you go 
to, to fill an emotional need by, by going and looking at porn on the internet. We say, well, obviously that's not a good thing to do. But what about if you just go to your, your husband instead of God? How many of you, when you got married, ladies, you thought this guy is gonna meet all of my emotional needs? How many of you, when you got married and thought that, were disappointed? No, don't raise your hands. But as everybody, right? If you thought that, you were because your husband's not God. And vice versa, guys. Or you go to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, or, or whoever. But any place that we go apart from God is a broken cistern. And, he, and God says, I have that against you. That you're running after all these things to satisfy. And none of them are really going to satisfy. A second truth, the truth about you. For 400 years, mainstream science believed that our brain was unchangeable after about age five. That it was hardwired and it couldn't change. You know, that would explain people like a Harvey Weinstein or whatever, you know, and you're going like, well, he just is who he is. I mean, he can't, that, he, he's probably never going to change because it's just hardwired in there. But in the late 60s, early 70s, with the advent of machines that could actually look inside the brain, see the electrical impulses of the brain, the MRI, the PET scan, the CAT scan, scientists made this amazing discovery. Our brain is malleable. In fact, what they discovered that with every uh, series of thoughts and actions that we put together to make a habit, our brains actually would rewire and move in a different way. That the physical makeup of how things pass through our brain would change. And that's an amazing discovery. Every action that was repetitive and repeated, the very neurons would reconnect in different ways. And it's so interesting that what science discovered, you know, the Bible talked about 2,000 years ago. In Romans 12, 2, the Bible says, do not be shaped by this world. Instead, be changed within by a new way of thinking. Then you'll be able to decide what God wants for you. You will know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. Think of some of the areas we might need to rewire by restructuring. Think about that in your life. Overworking, overeating, overuse of alcohol, drugs, depending on shopping or overspending for, for satisfaction. Guilt, anger, rage. Fear, anxiety, overcoming divorce, abuse, sexual addictions, codependency, insecurity, perfectionism, hypochondria, hurtful relationships. I just seem to get in one after the other. What's going on? Gambling, lying, procrastination, the need to control. I read that often. Someone said, can we just have one category that says all of the above, you know? Because we're all struggling with these things. One of the things that cutting edge science has shown is that there is what's called competitive plasticity. That means that your brain, the plasticity of your brain, it means it's movable, changeable. But whatever you focus on, your brain begins to rewire towards. That's why every choice is important. In any relationship, in any decision, in any way, you're, you're always moving one way or the other. Your brain is always wiring, wiring toward something. You know, say you're out shopping for a Honda Accord or something, and, and you've been studying a Honda Accords, and what do you see on this? Everywhere you go after that, you just see on the street, everywhere, 
accords, accords, accords. They've always been there, right? But you're just now noticing them because your brain's moving toward that. And it, it's, it's true for a, a child. You can watch it really clearly. Like my little grandson, Owen, he's one and a half, but when he was learning to walk, he was like a little drunk guy. You know, have you seen those YouTube things that kind of compare little children learning to walk and drunk people, you know? I mean, they look just exactly the same. His brain's not wired that way yet. He didn't know, he's trying to learn how to do it, but now he doesn't even walk, he just runs. And it's amazing to see that those little feet going, you know? But he wired, he wired it all up. He put it together. The truth about ourselves is we can change. Maybe you've said to yourself, that's just me. Can't change it. That's a lie. We can change. In fact, God says if you're a believer, he's put his spirit within you and he's made you a whole new creation. In your spirit, you are all that he's dreamed of you being. And now what our task is on this planet is to try to line up our physical body with who we already are on the inside. And sometimes you're not gonna feel like that. Because you just don't feel it. But it's not being a hypocrite to do it because that's who you already are when you do the right thing. You know, if I just did that, I'd be a hypocrite. No, you wouldn't. You'd be lining yourself up with who you are already on the inside. But it's going to be costly. You know what it costs? It's going to cost our comfort. It's going to cost us that. I want you to see the truth about the Bible. We're talking about how to integrate faith through every part of our lives. Now, every single one of you here this morning has faith. I'm looking at you right now and I can see that you have faith. You say, well, how do you know that? Because some of you have been praying, God, just give me more faith. You don't need more faith. Can I say that again? You don't need more faith. You have faith. I know that because you're sitting in that chair. You have chair faith. You sit down in that chair expecting it to hold you up in total faith. Now, you don't know anything about that chair, do you? You don't know where we got that chair. We could have got it at Walmart. You don't know, right? We, we could have, you know, paid thousands of dollars for each chair. You don't know. Neither one of those is true, but you don't know who sat in it before you. You don't know if the screws are loose on it. You don't know if someone spilled coffee before you sat down, and now you might, but, you know, here, here's the thing. You had faith, though. You sat down in it. You got in the car to come. You had car faith coming here and we have faith all the time we show faith all the time now that doesn't help us a lot in the spiritual realm or even for life change but I want you to take that little molecule of faith Jesus called it a mustard seed because it was a tiny little speck of a seed and put it in a great big God and watch what God wants to do you have that faith listen to what Paul says, Paul in Ephesians chapter four, he said, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord. Now, Paul doesn't say this very often. I affirm together with the Lord. What he's saying is, it's not really just me, God's saying this. And you need to perk up and listen because this is God talking. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. The word Gentiles, you know, so that's, it's not a very good translation for us because it meant something a little different in his day, but some of you are going, well, that, you know, I'm not a Jew, so maybe he's talking to me, or 
or I am a Jew and he's not talking to me. No, it's not talking. A better translation for us today would be worldling. Don't walk as the worldlings do. What would a worldling be? Someone who lives full out in this world, full out only for this world. He's talking about living as if this earth is all there is. Basically, this is everything to them. He said, don't walk any longer as the worldlings walk in the futility of their mind. Such an interesting phrase in the Greek. Futility of their mind. It means literally void of purpose. When you live for just this earth existence, you become void of purpose. You know, I don't know. uh, There's no heaven. There's no God. At least I'm not concerned about that. Maybe there is, but it's out there unknowable. And so I'm just gonna, you know, there's really no absolutes. There's no right and wrong. There's no absolute truth. It's how I feel that matters. Do you know anyone that lives that way? A lot of us. All of us, some of the time. But most of America, most of the time. And some of them, all of the time. It's like, this is how I feel, so this is what's right. I'm glad that you like what you like. I'm glad that you go to church, and that's good for you. But, you know, and and those kind of things, there's just no absolutes. It's futility of mind, void of purpose. It seems like our educational system in America today seems to be pointed toward futility of mind. It's trying to train us from an early age that, you know, this is it. This is all. This is everything. And let's try to make a utopia here, which God said it's never going to happen. So we have this futility of mind. We're, devo- we're void of purpose. And you see that in the suicide rate of teenagers. It's skyrocketing in the midst of all the affluence and all that we have. What's going on, you know? But the reason why, it's God's word that opens up our understanding to our purpose. He says this, your word is a doorway that lets in light and it helps gullible people understand. As we do this series this fall, what every Christian should know, there's gonna be huge life change happening. But I just want you to know, as we put those principles into play, it's gonna cost you. It's gonna be costly. And especially when it comes to comfort. Some of you are going like, well, Mark, I just don't know if I really believe the Bible. We're going to put biblical principles into play. Fair enough. Here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to walk with me through each principle. I want you to choose to practice each principle. If the Bible is true, then each of these principles, when put into practice, I mean really practiced, will work. I say really practice because a lot of us have given kind of lip service to it, you know. A lot of you grew up in homes and were kind of inoculated against real Christianity because your parents mouthed Christians things. They might have even known some Bible verses, but they didn't live the principles of it at all. And you looked and you go, this has no power. There's nothing to this. It's so important, parents, that you live it full out if you want your kids to see it, you know. You don't want to just inoculate them against it. They haven't ever seen the real thing. It's so important that we do that so they can see it, so they can look at that, so they can say, this is real. I see this lived out. I see this in action. Number four, the truth about hard times. Jesus promised us hard times. We feel like we've got to deal with him. Sometimes I'm going to church. I'm trying to do the right thing, trying to care about my fellow man. You better take care of me. You better watch over me and mine. 
And he says, in this world, you'll have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. And when trouble hits, we get so mad at God. This is not what I signed up for. And Jesus is going, yeah, that's what you signed up for. If you read the Bible, you'll see that's what you signed up for. He said, no one who comes to me is not going to suffer. No one who follows hard after me is not going to feel suffering. But look what he does in 2 Corinthians 1.4. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. We're talking about your story. It's a story of pain. I get it. The pain that you've been going through, that you're still going through. Maybe you're right in the very middle of it. This is your story. You see, the, the thing is people no longer believe the Bible, but every single person on this planet longs for a compelling story to pour their lives into. That's why we love the movies. That's why we, we, we like to go and, oh, if that was just, you know, I'd like to step into that. I'd like to be there. I'd like to be that hero. I'd like to do that. I'd like to have purpose and meaning and not be void of purpose. They long for a compelling story to be a part of, and you if you're a believer and you're showing them all this life change, you're going to be a compelling story. They're going to want to be in with you. They're going to see it in your marriage because everybody's hungry to have their marriage turn around and be a sweet thing in their life. And they're going to see it. And it's going to make a huge impact. Your life will be the miracle. Your story, the catalyst for life change for those around you. You'll be the walking testament to the power and the truth of God's word. And then lastly, I want you to see the, the, the truth about church. See, Jesus put together a way for us to make it, to keep life change going and a way that brings this energy to us and motivation to us and encouragement to us. He created an amazing experiment. It's called church. And church isn't a building, church is a people. He said, I'm calling out my ecclesia, my called out ones. That's the word church, the called out ones, okay? Church wasn't invented by some medieval monk. It wasn't invented by some group of bishops one day. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He decided how it was gonna be. Have you ever been to one of those churches where... Uh, the preacher kind of preached down at you. Such, you're a bunch of sinners and you can't do that. And you're just so, you know, maybe had a conniption fit or something up there. I don't need that. I got to tell you, that's not what I need. And that's not really what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be an encouraging place. It's an encouraging place. Because I already know how bad I am. I, I want to know, is there hope for me? Can I be the husband that I've dreamed of being? Can you be the wife that you've dreamed of being? Can we live this life? Can we be successful? Can we see our kids thrive instead of just be void of purpose, wandering aimlessly? How do we live this life? Some of us, you know, we just think, I just love to make a difference in someone's life, but I'm just so dysfunctional myself. Right, I get it. But God has given us a dysfunction subtractor. That's church. It's a new family. Some of you, you know, you say, I am so dysfunctional, but I know some of your parents, and you're doing pretty good. You know, you're growing up in that family, I'm gonna give you like thumbs up. 
And here's the deal. We're a new family together. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm making you a new family. You know, some of the old time traditional churches, they, they just call each other brother and sister, like brother shook and sister shook and, you know, all that. And I, I pastored one of those churches right out of seminary. And uh, it was great because if you couldn't remember someone's name, you just called them brother. You know, hey, brother. And uh, we're all brothers, you know, but you get out in public calling that and they go, man, your family is huge, you know. Well, it's kind of weird too. But it's really a sweet thing when you think about it. We're brothers and sisters. Look around right now. Those are your brothers and sisters around you right now. Single guy, that's your sister. She's good looking, but quit thinking that. That's your sister, all right? Here's the thing. We're a family, and it's important that we get that. Listen to what James said. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other. This is what you do for church. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. So if we're going to be church, what I want you to do right now is I want you to turn to three people around you and tell them your five biggest sins. No, I'm kidding. Don't start. Don't start. Some, somebody turned around. That's really not what it's trying to say. What it's trying to say is we've got to be open and honest with each other. Because we're all in this together. We're all in this together. In fact, in Romans 12, 9, it says that we should love each other with a sincere love. That word in English we get from Latin, sin sera, without wax, sincere. Sin sera, without wax. You say, what does that even mean? Well, back in the day, they used to have pottery, and if it would get a crack in it, they would fill that crack with wax, like with hot wax, and rub it down till it was smooth, and then they would paint it again, and you would think it's a perfect piece of pottery, but it's really not. It's got cracks all in it. It just looks perfect. Today, we call that Instagram. <laughs> and we look around, and everybody's got this, you know, they, but they all have Sarah. They got wax. It's, we're supposed to be seeing Sarah, seeing Botox, I don't know. The writer of, of, of Hebrews in describing church, listen to what he says. So let's do it full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. How inventive can you be encouraging people around you? Not avoiding worshiping together, as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Does that sound pretty cool? I think that sounds really amazing. Are you ready to get out of your comfort zone? Because I have a, a, a quick, quick work assignment for you. Are you ready? Here's what I want you to do. This is going to get you out of your comfort zone for today. I want you to think about the, a need in your life. We, do, we pray all the time as staff together. In our, in our staff meetings are mostly prayer times because we know that we can't do this. Only God can do it. But every once in a while I'll say, I want you all to pray for each other. And I said, I want you to share a need 
But here's the thing I always tell my staff. You know that first one you thought of? That's not deep enough. I want you to go one deeper. Go one deeper than that first one. Okay, so you thought of that one. Now I want you to go one deeper than that. You don't have to go way down here. You know, you don't need to confess to being a murderer this morning. That's going to freak them out, okay? <laughs> if you're a murderer, I've got security over here. You can confess to them. But, 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 but here's the deal. I want you to go one little bit deeper, okay? And now what I want you to do is I want you to get in groups of three, four, five. I don't care. It's not like, and there's, but not just husband and wife or not just boyfriend and girlfriend or not just two friends. I want you to add some other people. I don't want you to pray. I'm going to pray. I want you just to share your name and share that need. And I want you to pray for each other all week about that need. And let's see what happens. Because he says, if you'll be open and honest with one another, I'll begin to move and I'll bring healing. And you'll see it. And maybe it's something that you've been needing healing in for a long time. And I'm not just talking about physical. Maybe it's physical. But maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's yours or maybe it's someone close to you, a child or something. Don't, now, don't, wives don't say, here's my husband. He's got an anger problem. Don't, no, don't do that, you know. Something personal to you or someone dear to you, okay? Are you ready to do this? Some of you are sitting by yourselves and you're going, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You don't have to do it if you don't want healing. You see, you don't have to do it this morning. And some of you, if you're here and you're just trying to figure out what church is all about, it's okay. You can sit there and we'll be fine with that. I'm not gonna pick on you. But I think we want healing. So let's be church, okay? So what I want you to do is do that. I'm gonna give you about three minutes and then we're gonna just turn back around. Just go around. If somebody starts talking really long, the next person can say, you know, that's a really good one. Also talk, you know, a little over talking, you know, and then go into your need or whatever because we gotta get it done. Four, five, three, four, five. Ready? Go. And then I'll pray for you when we turn back around. Go. Don't head for the exits. It's locked. We got security back there. That's what church does. That's just a little glimpse of what church is. Let me pray for this right now. God, you heard those needs. You join me. You agree with me. You heard those needs. You said when the church prays together that it's powerful. And God, we're doing that together right now as a great symphony of prayer going out for each and every one of those that was spoken. We've obeyed your word and we've been open and honest with each other. And we've shared our, our needs and our hurts and our, our dreams. And God, I ask that you would honor your word. You always keep your word. So come, kingdom of God, upon these needs. Be done, will of God in these needs. Even this week, start to break through in ways that we could never expect. God, give us story after story after story, literally thousands of stories of breakthrough because we've obeyed you and we've got people praying for this this week. And I'm praying this prayer specifically for that. In Jesus' name, amen.